You are in the Grotto Pod. I'm in the Grotto Pod. Joining me here today in the Grotto Pod is producer Lori Ann Doyle, out from behind the knobs. That's what they are. Well, they're more like, uh, yeah, they're knobs. And the computer. <laughs> behind the knobs and the computer to deliver co-hosting duties for you. Lori, hi. I'm very happy to be sitting in and hope BQ's doing well working on her book. She is holed up in her palatial, uh, I won't say where it is, digs. but it's out, <laughs> digs out there in the country with her, you know, her, her knee is completely destroyed. Did you know this? No. Yeah. Um, this is why I had to do the last episode, a little uh, How the Sausage is Made moment for you Grotto Pod listeners, the Kevin Smokler episode, which I enjoyed a ton. I don't know if you listened to it. But he is an amazing guy. When we, we're geeking out hardcore on 80s <laughs> movies. We're lucky to have him. Yeah. Um, I'm even going to have him on my other podcast, too. Oh, cool. To talk about hip-hop and Jews. Guys, if you haven't heard him on Grotto Pod, you've got to check it out. Check out Kevin it's Smoker. It's a wonderful episode. And there will be 80s movie references that only the keenest of you will understand. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, so uh, Bridget was supposed to be here for that one, and she had done something to her knee a couple days oh, before. Wow. I'm getting texts from her all, the mor- all morning, so I'm going to the doctor, I'm going to check it out, see what's up, and... She comes back from the doctor, and she says, I don't think I can make it. Like, right, whatever. And she said, the doctor just texted or t- called me and said, you need to come in here right away. Something, she was like within a hair's breadth. Is that a word? Yes. Good. Of tearing her hamstring. Oh, yeah. And something, and it was just, and they had to drain stuff. It's just, no, I mean. Ha- and hamstrings. Never heal. No, no. No, my son has one. So. Welcome to your 50s, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Today, our guest is, oh boy, I'm going to mispronounce this. You got, you want to try it? No. Jaya? Jaya Padmanabhan. I think that sounds good. I think that's close, but of course we're going to ask her when she gets here. Uh, and Jaya, I have here written writer-journalist, and before, off mic, uh, Lori and I were talking about just what writer-journalist means, and I think in Jaya's case, it means a whole lot of stuff across... She has a huge range. It's pretty amazing. She does. She is a columnist. She's the immigration columnist for the San Francisco Examiner uh, for the last two years. She is, uh, before that, she was the editor of India Currents magazine. Which is a very popular magazine. You see it all over the Bay Area. It's, you know, I took a look at it in preparation, but it's kind of interesting it's you know it, it it it's got some political like hardcore india political stuff in there it's got cultural stuff it's uh it's really no, it's the go-to newspaper for the indian community yeah and so that's a big deal that she was the editor um i'm curious as why she left she's now the director of programs at ethnic media services so i want to learn a little bit about that too because i'm not sure what uh they i looked at their website but i'm not sure um sort of media services they provide. <laughs> she is the author of a book of short stories, Transactions of Belonging. That came out in 2014, so we're going to ask her what she's working on now. Yeah, so we're talking fiction, nonfiction, journalism, editorial work. Wow. But wait, there's a twist. <laughs> but wait, there's more. <laughs> she worked as a software engineer oh, for yes. several years yes. until she had an That's epiphany. Important. That is the perfect short story writer. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. She had an opportunity to change and she sees that opportunity. Um, And in fact, you know, it's worth your while, listeners, if you want to do some follow up homework to. uh, We don't call it homework. We call it um, something for your follow up pleasure. Something for your follow up (laughs) pleasure. 
There, you can find. I think it's an India Currents actually a transcript of the speech she gave at San Jose State's 2015 graduation for the computer science program, in which she outlines why she decided to become a writer. But before you get to that, we're going to ask her, and we're going to go a little more in depth、uh, than you may find there.、Uh, she, you know, she also does write about tech somewhat. Still, she wrote something that I read that was interesting called、uh, "Why." Technology needs liberal arts majors,、hmm. which is you know a subject near and dear to our hearts. Humanities and science. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it is interesting because you know there's such an emphasis as parents of post teen. Is yours a post teen now? Nineteen year old. Nineteen, same age, college age children. You know, there's so much、uh, emphasis on STEM. For them, you know that they need to get into the sciences, the hard sciences, in order to survive in the world. Jaya is going to come in here and tell us you don't got to go. You don't got to go that way. You can end up there from a different route. So I don't know if she is floating around here somewhere. Probably is.、Uh, does she have an office? Do you know? I don't know. Just for those of you who haven't been to the grotto,、I'll、just put it on the on the.、Uh Uh, the, 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 the intercom, the, <laughs> the inner office. That, attention, please. Will Jaya、uh, please report to the Grotto Pods? Massive high school, studio. You know,、uh-huh, black, yeah. the, you know, please come to the office. Yeah, we don't have one of those. I got to tell you, that's not how the Grotto runs. But we do have offices. There's a little ring of offices right around the outside of the Grotto, and we don't know if she has one or not. So what we're going to do now is exit the Grotto Pod and do a little stealth search. To see if we can find her. When we bring her back, you're going to hear about all the stuff we just set you up for. Okay,、uh, Jaya. Now that I have absolutely butchered your name, which I don't know how many episodes of the Grotto Pod you've listened to, but it's kind of my brand, butchering <laughs> names. So I didn't disappoint this time. Can you please pronounce it correctly? Jaya Padmanabhan. Padmanabhan. That's really has that's, a nice music to it. Yeah, it's more musical than the way I pronounced it. <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> <clears throat> so, Jay, welcome to the Grotto Pod. Thank you. We're happy to have you here. And we've been so we already recorded our intro, and in it we sort of discuss a little bit of the breadth of your writing career, and a hint of the career that came before your writing career. But I think. Just off the top, one thing that I know Lori was really interested in finding out was how you manage such a. <laughs> well, how would you put it? Just a, a broad.、Spectrum. It's like you have a portfolio. <laughs> you have short fiction, memoir, journalism, and you've been the editor. Columns. Columns. I guess I was thinking that was journalism, but no, we should say columns.、Mm-hmm. And you've been the editor of Indian Currents for. You were the you were the editor from 2012 to 2016, a good four years. I mean, that's a chunk. And you have a book under your belt, Transactions of Belonging.、Um, so I'm just I think Larry and I are both just really interested. Like, tell us about that range. Like, what inspired it? How do you move from、How、one to the、it? other? Yeah, yeah. And feel like you're. You've got your writing chops going, you know, in all these different all these different genres. And, and what are the challenges that that brings up? Yeah, I think that's a very interesting question because、um, 
I feel I don't do enough in <laughs> in a lot of these areas. Um, Are you afraid you're kind of a jack of all trades, master of none? Pretty much, but what I am is actually a reader. So I kind of mm-hmm. respond to what I'm reading. Um, and uh, my columns generally are um, sort of emanate from or come out of what I tend to read at any particular point of time. And um, and so the work... Um, so, so the work that I have put in over the years, um, I think the most um, the most effort I had was with the short stories <laughs> mm. because it didn't come from any sort of grounding or research or data or anything. It just had to come from where I was um, in my life at any at that point of time. Well, let's talk about that then. We'll kind of reverse engineer your career here. Um, <laughs> Well, I am interested in in what where you started, what you started with. Did you start with short stories or the memoir or the journalism or I mean, I know you had this long career in tech, right? And we want to hear about that, but I'm just talking about writing at this moment. Right. So, um, the, you know, when when I was in tech and um, all my previous jobs uh, mm-hmm. prior to writing, I called. Um, were jobs that were made me a writer in waiting um, mm-hmm. uh, to that extent because I was um, reading extensively at that time too. Um, but everything I would read or experience, um, there would be an instinct to to tell or write or um, narrate in some way. Um, but the scope of my tech job didn't give me th- that opportunity. Um, so I think it was easiest to start with um, the short stories. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, so were you doing any writing when you were, ha- were working full-time in tech? Um, I wasn't, well, uh, you know, a story here, a story there. Mm-hmm. Was anybody, were you showing them to anyone? No, no, no. Secret no. writer. No. <laughs> <laughs> Closet writer. <laughs> well, I'm also a... You know, I don't have any background in writing, so I do right. not do not have a journalism degree. I do not have a literature degree, um, so much of it is self-taught. But um, okay. you know, I just want to put in a word here that I think that's wonderful because I do think there's a way that when you go to school, your mind is formed in a certain way, and when you're outside of the, you know, supposedly way to do it. Notice I didn't say the right way to do it. Um, I think it frees people up, and I think that's where really the interesting writing is coming from these days. Not that, well, not necessarily out of the MFA programs, but out of people like yourself who feel this calling. It's really a calling. Um, but we wanted to talk about. The- well, actually, no. I like this. I like where this is going, Jay. This is very interesting because I know that um, the book, the short the book of short stories. In an interview, you had said they were all about belonging. When you were inspired to become a writer with no training, you were entering this world of people who had been training for it their whole lives. Mm-hmm. So what? How do, you, how do you find your place in that world? And was it hard to overcome that at first? So, so when I think about me being a writer, I, I think I'd rather label myself as a reader um, hmm. because... Um, you know, writing is sort of a knee-jerk um, reflex action that comes out of reading, mm. and um, so, at least for me, so 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 therefore, 
when I um, when I started when I was thinking about it, the title for my book, um, and it also a, lo- a lot of the time um, I was reading um, editorials, uh, journalism pieces, and things that were happening in the world that kind of affected me, but I had no voice in that. Are you are you writing to further the story that you're reading? So I wasn't. That's a pretty interesting um, yeah. question, but it wasn't um, to further that, but to maybe further the idea uh, mm-hmm. that I was presented with, um, maybe not in the setting or in the stories that I was reading, uh, creating my own um, setting. Um, and that to me seemed to be um, seemed to be more compelling that I need to tell my story and extend the ideas that I have been extend them. Yeah. Right, reading. Now, I, I read your, um, <clears throat> your speech, your, con- your graduation speech. <laughs> no, it was. I, I feel like, I, and I just recommended that all of our listeners read it as well because you really outline the epiphany, the moment that you decided you were going to try to do it. So tell us, since I kept it a secret from everyone who's listening, tell that story. It's a good story. So you're talking about the story um, with your daughters about my daughters. Yeah. Um, so, um, and, and actually, before you do that, where was your head at regarding writing at that point? Um, and so, uh, all through, um, I um, well, let me preface that with saying that while I didn't write for um, you know for publication or publishing, um, I'd always frame stories in my head in in a way um, I think um, readers do. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I remember as early as um, you know growing up in India. Um, I'd be spending my time writing poetry and short stories instead of, like, you know, studying for <coughs> the chemistry exam. How, how'd that go over? It didn't go over <laughs> very well, as you can well imagine. <laughs> um, and uh, um, so when it came to the point where um, so my daughters um, were, I think, um, in, they were very young at that time, and they were going to a small little um, school, uh, a community school is what I'd call it, um, in Woodland, uh, uh, called Woodland, in Portola Valley. Ooh, very nice. And uh, it's a very tiny school, and it's a fabulous school. Um, but um, it, and it, it was diverse enough, but uh, perhaps not... Uh, um, you know, it was too small to be, you know, sort of ex- extensively diverse. So many of the children there um, were not used to seeing, um, like, brown faces or, um, you know. And w- at one point of time, uh, and um, one of my daughters was, um, I mean, I think they were doing a history class, and um, um, one of my daughters was told um, well, if you were living in America at that time, you would have been my slave. Um, and oh, so, my goodness. <laughs> um, and so um, my daughter comes home, and I have twins, um, so they um, they come home and... Were they just like, uh, what? No, they actually um, um, said, no way, no. They <laughs> refuted it and said, no, 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 it couldn't be, you know. Um, so they came home and asked me. Um, so what do you think? Um, would we have been slaves if we were, we'd been living in um, America at that time? And that seemed to be a very um, tough question for um, to answer. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, I cannot say yes, um, or I, and neither can I say no, um, because 
I don't want them to believe that, um, you know, they needed to be white in order to belong to um, in America. And also, I did want them to understand what it means um, for people to have been slaves in the country. Um, but it was too complex an idea to present to the girls. Um, so I wrote mm. a piece thinking I would um, uh, show it to them later. So that is an interesting response because <clears throat> another parent might have gone to find books for them to read right. or something for them to watch, some, someone else to deliver that news, and you instead decided you were going to be the one to deliver it. Well, you know... But later. <laughs> yeah, but later. Yeah. Um, because um, I think nothing is as educative as life itself, and um, so I, I think the, there should be no answer to that question. There should be no right answer to that question. Um, hmm. And um, I feel that Oftentimes, when you ask someone or you read a book, I mean, it's nicely packaged, these answers. And um, something as thorny as this needs to be a little chaotic. So what you wrote, what became of it? I don't think anything became of it. But somehow it was sort of the crux of you deciding, hey, I think this is something I want to do. Right. It did. And did you show it to your daughters at some point? Um. You know, I lost it, too. <laughs> <laughs> lost the file. <laughs> but I did remember it. And, you know, interestingly enough, I did have a conversation with my children at that time. And um, um, and it, it, strange thing with memory. They both believe this question was asked of them. While it was only asked of one of them. Oh, my goodness. They were in two different it's classes. It's a twin thing. And, um, and, and, and so I found that pretty strange that okay so it did affect you enough and in our exchange and the way you told it to in one of them told it to me it must have affected the other also similarly so <clears throat> the inspiration was it to have a voice or was it to pursue writing as something as an activity or was it a combination of both Probably a combination of both. So what sort of writing did you start pursuing initially, to circle back to Lori's question from a long time ago? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, then I began to write the short stories. Okay. And, um, and many of the short stories are um, sort of raise questions that I think are um, pretty similar to the ones um, that my daughter had faced at that time. <laughs> Um, and I, in terms of belonging. So the, this whole idea of belonging um, comes from that, right? I mean, mm -hmm. she wanted to belong to a society where she felt she owned her history. But what is that history? Um, and how did you learn to write a short story, just from reading other ones? And if so, who were you reading? <laughs> well, Let me guess. Check off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's, he's yeah. so great. I'm a short story writer, too. I, I know, Laura. And I've published a collection fairly yes. recently, and um, I love Chekhov. And I, although there are people who com really completely hate him, but a lot of short story writers take inspiration from Chekhov. Right. Um, but actually, I don't think I took inspiration from short okay. story writers. What I did was actually took inspiration from... Um, from uh, journalism pieces or editorials or um, hmm. reports. 
um, investigative reports that were going on in, in the world at that time, at the time that I was writing, because these things kind of tend to um, affect me um, as to... Um, what were you taking from them? Were you taking themes? Um, I was taking um, why people behave. Well, you know, I think at the core of writing, there's a certain philosophy element as to why people do what they do. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was, I mean, uh, um, for example, religion and, you know, the need to belong to certain sects, certain tribes, certain communities to label ourselves. These are your themes. I've been reading your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting because it's also a question that can't really be answered. It cannot. And it, it is, there's a chaos about that as well. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's what I think makes a great short story is something that can't be neatly yeah, tied up yeah. in a bow. Um, I think it'd be fun for us for you to talk about one of those short stories, maybe your favorite one or maybe the one you struggled with the most, whatever, or the easiest, <laughs> whatever is your choice. But just kind of talk to us about it and how it came to, about and, you know, what the reception, What you know, just I, I'd like people to have people. Let me just say people have. Uh, I saw some reviews and they were saying, wow, the endings are always so good, except for one, his curls. It was like people wanted to know. Was he or wasn't he? Was, did that young boy turn into a terrorist or not? So you could talk about that story um, or another one, but I just, I'd love, again, from one short story writer to another, I'd love to just hear about your process. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I actually worked on that story from, for close to two years. and um, That's I, not unusual, everybody out there. Right. <laughs> it's, sometimes it goes longer. Right. Um, and it gave me, um, it was the, I had the most tumultuous relationship with that story. With the mother or <clears throat> the son? With the whole um, story in the sense that um, why... Um, well, in in certain uh, in certain ways, um, I felt that um, I, I disagreed with the mother. I disagreed with the son. Um, I, We're all uh, shaking our heads. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I don't think you want to agree, agree with you, your characters yeah, all the time. Yeah, that does yeah. not make for interesting narrative. True, very true. Um, and um, but I also wanted to. Um, so the way I looked at it is let's uh, let's take these characters and I'm and I think uh, at the heart of it I'm also a pretty analytical person mm-hmm. so I wanted to strip um, the story of any um, geographical elements of any um, sort of deeply cultural elements um, so while it was a non-western culture that I was portraying um, the story doesn't tell you where it took place, uh, what um, you know, religious affiliation um, this boy uh, is. Um, but I, t- uh, but what I, I just assumed it was, you know, Islamic terrorism. But right. I think that's really an important point you make. I read that into it, and I wanted to um, to make the reader be part of the story cool. with me. So um, that's the best way. Um. So so then. Um, you know, so then I had to play with what can I put in versus what can I leave out, mm. and what do I say? What can I have this character say? Um, 
which would um, advance the story but not reveal, um, you know, some of the elements of uh, who he is or where he grew up. Or, mm-hmm. um, when, what was, what, when I read it, I was really struck by how passive the mother was, that it was really she was watching this happen without really intervening at all. What were you trying to say with that? Or did I read it completely wrong? <laughs> no, I think you're right. Um, which, I, which interested me as well because often we say, you know, again, this is like a thing uh, in writing. Um, you know, have your characters have agency, have them act in the world. Not she was powerless. Step back and step back, and yet she's yeah, she is. She doesn't act in the world. I mean, she's in a way she's an observer. She is an observer, but also um, I found that, um, well, when I was living through writing this um, story. For two years. Right? <laughs> Life goes on. Um, I wanted a way for, um, for anger um, uh, to be, um, so it's, it's a passive anger she shows at society, mm. at the society that she is um, enveloped in. Um, and... How does this passive passivity manifest itself into something harmful? Mm. She doesn't act. So you're saying it's expressed by her son? It, it It's expressed by the suspicion she has mm. of what her son does. Yeah, she's pretty quick to turn. Right. Yeah. I don't know this kid anymore. Done. <laughs> Finished. Um, wow. Right now, I'm blown away by the idea of you deciding to start writing short stories and they get turned into a book. What was the process? Did you workshop them? Did you have a reading group? Were you writing in a vacuum? I'm assuming you were still working at this time in in tech. So you were coming home from work with nine-year-old twins or however old they were, sitting down and just jumping into the great beyond. How did it work? Well, I think um, I submitted these stories to contests and that's what um, actually kind of gave me some validation mm-hmm. um, what happened and um, in one of its earlier versions of uh, his curls I submitted it to the Lorian Hemingway and that, that was the first contest I submitted it to um, and um, I think I got an honorable mention Great. for that um, so then I came back and I said okay Honorable mention. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Good, but maybe not as good as you want. I'm honored. Okay, so what's wrong? uh, (laughs) Spoken like a writer. But who had read it before before you submitted it? Nobody. 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 Wow. Wow. That's impressive. That is gutsy. And um, not even your husband? No. For the record, right now, Jay is looking at us like, what? <laughs> what, what are you looking at me like yeah, that? What do you mean, guts? Her expression says. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't trust um, my mm. work because it hadn't been exposed um, at that point, mm-hmm. you know. So um, I think there was that too. Um, but, um, but but then um, I, um, a friend said, why don't you submit it, submit it to uh, some, some of your stories to... Um, one of the India Currents, um, they have a national um, short story contest. And, um, um, and so I did. And, um, and, you know, I began to win those um, a few awards for the um, Indian American contests. And, uh, and then, you know, I, I was just approached by this agent 
and uh, who lived in France, and he said he had a contact in India as a publisher. And it just seemed all very easy. That I sounds like a dream come true. But, but to be if fair, we, have, to you, we have had to you. a handful of writers come on with similar kismet-type tales. It's true. In contrast to the usual, I sent it to 75 agents and I never heard back tale. I slaved away for 20 years. I think I did too. I did submit it to a few mm. agents here, um, and I never heard back. Um, so, um, but uh, I submitted it to this agent in France, and you know, or no, I actually met him, and he read the pieces, mm. and, and he said, "Hey, I would like to represent you." So, great. And did you have a concept of the, these short stories as being a book at this point? No, not really. Um, it just came together, and then uh, the publisher said, could you put together 12 stories? And mm-hmm. that's when I kind of cranked out a few more. But <laughs> <laughs> And I'm interested about this theme of belonging. Um, you know, given that you grew up in a different world and came here, do you think that that spoke to your own background as well as the character's background? Well, you know, I, I think in any theme of belonging, there's also a theme of displacement. Um, so uh, that's, uh, I think, uh, uh, to me. And, you know, growing up in India, I had a very unusual um, childhood. Um, I grew up in an Irish Catholic boarding school. Um, that from, is interesting. That is interesting. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> and where was this Irish Catholic boarding school? So, um, they, you know, there were a lot of uh, missionary schools that were mm. set up in India at that time. And this was in a little town called Asansol, which is... Um, um, you know, it's in uh, the north of India. And uh, um, and I went into boarding school when I was four years old. Oh, my goodness. So these, it's similar, um, Lydia Kiesling, who was in here, she wrote right. The Golden State, has a not dissimilar story of being in boarding schools and moving and living internationally. I can see where it would be. It but would she be, didn't have that cultural you know, conflict. Being at an Irish Catholic boarding school. Well, I mean, just to be an Indian young, well, I'd say, have to say little girl. To yeah, be an Indian be. little girl who's four years old, who's in this really more, you know, European, Anglo-European, I don't even know what the right term would be, <clears> but <throat> so, but the question of displacement, I mean, it's like, my it's, that word is zinging around my mind. But how much of that is – how much are, are we projecting Western values on that? Because I hear that and go, a four-year-old? So, yes. Is that common? And- it's not common at all. Oh, it okay. isn't common. Uh, it is not common at all because every time I um, – even in while I was growing up in India – people would always tell me, oh, my God, your parents are bizarre. <laughs> Why did they do that? Why did they do that? Um, you know, my dad lived in um, a coal mining area, and it was uh, not a very safe uh, place. And um, besides, I think, um, you know, he really wanted uh, his children to have this Western um, mm. education and um, so my brother went to St. Patrick's and I went to Loretto. And, uh, you know, I grew up um, imbibing Catholic philosophy, wow. but assimilating Hindu culture. I read you. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, that is so interesting. It's a little confusting, though, for especially if you're doing that starting at age four. Right. Yeah. 
But then you didn't know anything else. I didn't know anything else. And, um, you know, um, uh, you know, I remember, my, and my mother is a practicing Hindu. Um, and is your father Catholic? My father was an atheist, but he was a secular um, mm-hmm. atheist. Um, and um, he um, he was a cultural Hindu, so he, he read all the texts and he would tell us about it. But um, um, so my, uh, my exposure to Hinduism came through looking at other people when I came home for Christmas holidays or... And when you came home, did you feel like you were home? Yes, I did. Um, So so there was a home? There was definitely a home, yes. Um, So there was a belonging? So there was a belonging, but for much of my time in boarding schools, there was also a sense of displacement. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I grew up with that, um, that idea of belonging versus displacement. Hmm. And, uh, and, and uh, I'm wondering if at the end, though, you also had equal parts Irish Catholic culture, too. Were you drinking Guinness and listening to the Pogues? I mean, this is what I mean you... so it was age four to age 18? It was age four to age uh, 16. I spent two years at home because my dad was in the hospital. And, you know, there was a, mm. a series of events that took place. that I And after all, all that... And you came to the U.S. when you were... 25. Okay. My goodness. What spurred on that decision? Well, I met a man and got married. (laughs) (laughs) I love it when that's what it boils down to. (laughs) Wow. That's amazing. And you came here at age 25 and you started in the tech industry, but you had this other part of your brain. Well, um, in India, actually, I um, I got a bachelor's degree in psychology. Um, and um, I worked for many years um, as a sales person um, mm. at a large um, oil company. Mm. Mm. Did you you went to San Jose State when you got here? I did. Was that for a master's? For a master's in computer science. Okay. And what drew you from psychology to computer science? Oh, that's a, yeah, yeah, because yeah. one has no answers and yeah. one has definite answers. Yeah. Well, psychology, to a certain extent, did frustrate me um, with, um, with the, you know, I mean, I'm generalizing at this point, but, you know, um, the need to pigeonhole or um, label or, you know, which is one of my biggest... Uh, pet peeves. Pet peeves, yeah. <laughs> which is a pet peeve. You know, I mean, the idea that, you know, I need to be nicely packaged and, uh, um, you know... A, a, whether it is and and a disease um, or um, a diagnosis made of some sort that kind of annoyed me because um, um, many times I think it's the course of navigating our um, sort of complex culture that creates a dissonance within people and and I think that is not given enough attention perhaps or maybe it is and I don't know you mean much about a it. label yes mm. yeah gives yeah. Yeah, that's really true, and it seems to me that the internet has even. They're so convenient, though. Yeah, we don't have that. time, and you know, people are becoming really good at just finding a few words to characterize people. Oh, I won't mention. This. I won't yes. mention who does that. <laughs> but yeah, that's so interesting. Um, hmm. Well, do you mind if I keep talking about the short story collection, or do you have? A- We're here to talk about writing, Lori. Have at it. <laughs> Well, I'm just wondering, you know, having again having published a collection, like what was that like for you? Did did you was it exhilarating? Was it disappointing? Was it both? Well, um, 
it was exhilarating um, to see um, to see the work out there and people reading it and reacting to it. <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, I'm just struck having worked in the normal world where you do work and you're paid handsomely for it. <laughs> were you expecting that to happen after you wrote a book of short stories? <laughs> you know, um, I'm still trying to get my royalties. <laughs> well, that says it all. <laughs> Different world. But I'm so impressed, actually, to circle back in a way. Um, you know, I published without an agent, and I, and I tried to find an agent, and then I just went ahead and submitted to independent presses, which was which worked out fairly quickly. But I just want to say you found it. An agent found you, and an agent wanted to publish your stories. I mean, that that really speaks to the to the quality of your work. But this was an agent I happened to meet. Yeah, that's what I'm right, saying. Right. It's you know, but even I, I think it's largely more about, serendipitous. Right, right. So it's just so interesting. But um, yeah, so so the uh, recept so the press was the press. What was your experience with with the, your Indian press? So um, many people wrote to me saying that. Um, they loved it, but they were very confused um, with um, some of the endings. Mm-hmm. And um, his curls came up again and again. And, Ambiguous. Uh, and um, uh, in this, in all this, I think um, one of my friends, who is um, a well-known dancer, she decided to perform his curls. Wow. Mm. And um, yet another genre <laughs> under your belt. <laughs> That's great. So. Um, and the thing is, um, so the way she decided to perform it was that she memorized the entire story. And um, and she basically enacted it, and she enacted it in the, in, in a dance form, um, Bharatanatyam, which is a classical Indian dance hmm. form. Um, but it was interesting because I didn't tell her what the ending was. And... She um, intuited it. Intuited it. Oh my goodness! Um, so it was interesting because that's what she read. Of. Oh, so you know what the ending is. <laughs> this is making Larry mad. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I had a friend who said, um, you know, my mother won't read short stories because they. She says they make her feel dumb. Mm, I was sort of that's like, interesting. Well, because the issue with a short story is that. The reason it's if a short story is powerful is that it's what's not on the page is often driving the story. And if people aren't picking up the subtext, then, you know, the story doesn't land for them. But um, it's interesting that someone who took the time to just, you know, in a way, burn those words in their in their brain you know, kind of ended up, quote unquote, getting it. I hate that phrase, getting it. I really hate that. I don't. I think there's many ways to get a story or get a novel or whatever. But, but you know, she somehow, yeah, it came through. But that's what she made of it. Mm. It's not necessarily. I mean, like I told me, um, I told her later. Certain days, I believe that that's what. Well, but as a short story writer, you know, how much do you expect of your audience? You know, do you want them to solve these puzzles or do you want them to just take what they will from it? Are you know, are you angry if people, no, that's not what it says. It's something else. 
I want them to react to it. Mm-hmm. Anger, hatred, whatever. Apathy is bad, but, you know, um, or... I, to me, that's like the $64,000 question. Mm-hmm. How much do we leave out without kind of making the reader feel stupid or confused or whatever? And I think it will vary from reader to reader. Right. Uh, but I think... The pleasure, and it's, this is not just for short stories. The pr- pleasure of fiction is is feeling like you are co-creating it. I, I really love what you said about you know that you wanted the reader to begin to become invested, so invested in the story that they were also making it happen. At least you know, obviously in their brain. But um, I think this question of like how many crumbs you put <laughs> in, the, yeah. in the trail of breadcrumbs. You know, so people can follow is a really big one in literature, and people writers really come and come, you know, come down on that or whatever. Answer that in so many different ways. Well, th- there's a particular story called um, Mustard Seeds in in my collection, and um, you know, I introduced an error in the Fibonacci sequence um, that was, um, I think, in the second or third paragraph. Only one person has written in to me. Did <laughs> <laughs> so they got that? <laughs> do you, so how does how do you feel about that? Then do you think ah oh, shoot? Maybe it's a little, a little too, too obscure. Too obscure. <laughs> yeah. Too obscure. Well, so after you wrote this book, of, this well received book of short stories, you shifted gears a little bit and entered the world of journalism. Was that part of the plan? And 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 to expand on that, tell us how the job at India Currents came up. So. Um, by then, I had been submitting to India Current some of my stories, mm-hmm. and, um, um, you know, I wrote a piece or two here and there. And then I did interview at India Currents, and um, when they decided to hire me, um, it was, you know, I think a leap of faith for uh, the publisher, because I had no experience in, in journalism. I had... What made you apply, though? Um, I figured... I know how to do the job, but it was a certain arrogance that I, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, I went in with. Um, and you were, you said, well, I'm not going to write another book of short stories. I'm not going to write a novel. I want to be the editor of Indian Current. Right. Um, hmm. Right. But again, that's well, so interesting. Know. Like what were you sparked still, that? Did you, right. were you still working as a software engineer? No, by then I'd quit. Okay. Yeah. And um, so... This um, opportunity also, uh, you know, this uh, India Currents actually taught me one very important lesson, and that's not how to write, but how to read. Hmm. And and that um, that to me was, you know, I thought I'd go in there and learn about, you know, writing without like, you know, going into class or, you know, all these like fabulous writers are submitting and um, I'd go in there, read all their work and figure it out for myself. But what I learned was how to read, and I think that was very powerful, empowering for me. But, well, say, but say more, like read how. So um, all this while, um, I don't think I've um, I've gone through a single day without reading something or the other, as most of us have. But the way I read or the way I engaged with words was completely different from the way an editor needs to. Huh. And um, so um, to that extent, I, I mean... There were, like, you know, when I read um, for pleasure or for my own sort of edification, then I read and I take what interests me, 
I kind of weigh the words that matter to me or my perspective or, um, you know, advance my own sort of learning in a particular way. But with, as an editor, you have to read everyone's words very carefully, whether you relate to it or not, whether you agree with it or not. Or, um, But I wonder, and I wondered this at the beginning when you talked about defining yourself as a reader, if all of that reading made you a natural editor. If you were at some level editing in your head while you were doing all that reading. Mm-hmm. So when it came time to actually edit, you kind of already had a leg up. I did, but, uh, you know, again... I think in those early days, I did make a lot of mistakes with, mm. um, you know, and, and that's the thing. I, I hadn't learned formal um, editing, too. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I should just jump stuff. in. Like, what percentage of, because maybe not all, our, all of our listeners are familiar with Indian Currents, like, what percentage of it is more t- news topical to the Indian community and what percent of it is, like, personal essays or short stories? Well, um, so India Currents was started about 31 years ago by um, um, these two software engineers and um, a scientist. And um, they, um, um, and then they, you know, then the, I think the woman, um, uh, Vandana, who bought it from, uh, bought her, the other people's shares and began to run it as a publisher. What it is, is is it's a monthly magazine. It started off being, um, 31 years ago, it started off being like a calendar of events, mostly with, you know, articles uh, framed around that, like who's coming to town, who's performing, what these artists are are doing, and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, And slowly, um, as the years progressed, people began to send in stories or their, um, you know, um, or articles that they'd written. And um, Indians began to publish them. And fi- so, fiction and nonfiction. Well, f- uh, fiction um, and nonfiction, yes. And um, then slowly it evolved to becoming a community journalism um, uh, publication. Hmm. So it is still a one month. Um, it's still published once a month. Uh, as uh, till last year, it was. Um, it had a print version. Um, but as we know, all print um, entities are kind of, hmm. you know, not making the away. money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they've uh, they've done away with their print, and now they're online only. But um, but the print was particularly good for me because while I was there, it was a print version, and um, and uh, mostly people sent in stories that or articles, not stories, articles that they had written about certain events in the community or um, reacting to certain news in the, you know, in mainstream population. Um, so to that extent, it was, it was breaking down how the community thinks about certain issues. But the voices were from the community themselves. We had some, you know, uh, good columnists um, sending in their work regularly. But for the most part, it's uh, people in the community um, doing it. It's mm. mm. so interesting. And so that was um, actually um, steep curve for you. Very steep curve. Yeah. Uh, because to me, um, what does being an editor be? I mean, because <laughs> you had to select them, correct? I have to select them. Yeah. But were, at one point, we, I said, "Nobody, I will reject nobody." My goodness! I How will long work that with that person. And oh my goodness, what a big heart you have! And were you? Because it is a community publication. If you think about it mm-hmm. as being a community publication, so what right do I have to reject someone's work? I just need to make that person were you, put his words, uh, put were his you story better. Paying contributors? Yes. And were you the top dog? 
No, not okay. the publisher was. But you were the you were the executive editor, editor, editor managing editor, right. small staff out so of I nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> so from there, though, you left. Yes. Eventually, you, and now you're at Ethnic Media Services. Yes. And so explain what that is. So there's this um, journalist called Sandy Close, and um, anyone who's been in San Francisco long enough knows the work that Sandy has done. Um, she ran an organization called New America Media. Yes. And before that, it was Pacific News Service. Oh, Pacific News Service. They rescued Joe Lawyer. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, That's true. And, um, you know, many, um, she has groomed and, um, you know, m- brought people from, um, from I think, just meeting them in a casual um, circumstance to becoming, um, you know, a reporter of some substance. And she, um, last year, she closed down New America Media. And it was at that time that I was, had started my, um, started writing on my own, too, and submitting to various organizations, various... Oh, so did you leave... India Currents at the same time, yeah. And what was behind that decision? You just decided you didn't want to go 9 to 5? Yes, that. And also, um, I had started working pretty seriously on my book at that time. The collection? No, no. No. Put I'm a pin in that. Yes. Book. Oh, tell us about the new book. Although I... Maybe I'm interrupting, but... <laughs> tell us about the new book. We can digress. Sure, tell us about the new book. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, so it's... it's uh, it's a it's a tough book to work of fiction. It's a work of fiction. So it's a novel. It is set in Kerala in India, and it is set in a town which is called the Moscow of of India. So that's where um, communism came to play a real um, significant role in how the politics of that region um, evolved. Um, Kerala is still a communist uh, government um, um, state uh, government. And it also has, um, it is one of the most literate states in, in, in India. Um, and, um, but at the time that I am looking at, um, I'm looking at in um, late 19, um, 19 uh, early 40s to, uh, you know, to, fif- to early 50s, that's a time when India was going through a tremendous period of churn. I mean, there was, you know, we, we were, um, India was fighting the British, um, the, you know, there was all these um, princely states that were looking to um, get something out of it. So if you're talking about chaos, that was the period when India was the most chaotic. with um, And violent. And violent. Um, <coughs> now, for this book, are you using actual historic characters? So when I first started, I decided I did want to, um, but um, I was looking at a particular community, and that is um, the community of... Uh, Okay, you would never have heard this term, but toddy tappers. Toddy tappers. <laughs> toddy tappers. To, um, to explain. Um, so what, what it is, is it's a, it's a community that um, climbs, um, climbs trees, coconut trees, oh. taps the sap, um, and then brings it down, ferments it, and it's sold as toddy or local liquor. Oh, I said it sounds like a pejorative. Like a hot toddy. It's like a toddy. Do you, yeah. not, do you not want to be called a toddy tapper? Well, it, you mean just one? Is it like a moonshiner? It is like a moonshiner, um, but it was a legitimate um, uh, community that did this work. 
and um, and then um, they um, and then politics entered into it with you know middlemen wanting you know a share of the profits and you know it's a social economic situation changed in the region and many of these tardy tappers became communists. And I have to say an interesting story about this is that about two years ago, I went to, I visited the town in order to do research for the book. And um, I walked into this, I think he was about eight years old, and um, he invited me to his home. He was, he used to be a toddy tapper in, in the, in the forties. Oh, my goodness. And so he invited me to his home and I walked in and right up in the entrance is this huge framed picture of Karl Marx. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, who, so a toddy tapper is uh, one of the main characters in your book? So, yes. Cool. It's about a toddy tapper. That sounds cool. Hey, we are actually running out of time, but I don't want to get out before, without finding out what you're doing for Ethnic Media Services. So, Ethnic Media Services. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, the examiner. Don't let me forget. Oh, um. Yes, so I'm I'm helping Sandy put together. So she now has a she, so for thirty years she used to run these programs for ethnic media. Um, in terms, I mean, one of her um, in one of her speeches she talks about like you, you know ethnic media being as important in delivering um, uh, messages to the community as other um, as mainstream uh, media mm-hmm. and so her work her life's work is to um, sort of engage ethnic media in, in the issues of the day what was this compelling enough about it to get you to go back into the working world or is this not a nine to five job it's not okay. I'm, 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 I'm kind of helping her um, with a bunch of um, with, uh, on a few projects uh, one of them being the census 2020 mm. and um, yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> and the citizen, evidently, the citizenship question is staying. Yeah, it is staying. <laughs> but now we we want to get the, to the examiner. examiner stuff. How how'd that come about, and, and what sort of stuff are you doing there? Well, the examiner stuff came about because I met the uh, I met Michael Howerton, who was then the editor at a an award ceremony, um, and um, we got talking, and you know, and he said, "Do you want to write?" And I, or I asked him, do you want a writer or a columnist? And he said, well, sub- submit some, some of your work. And we, and I did. And, uh, you know, he, and so we, he gave me an opportunity and I started writing. But I was still at India Currents at that time when I first started writing for um, San Francisco Examiner. Are there any parameters on what you write? So the way um, we had initially talked about it was that I would be talking, I would be writing this column about the community, and um, the community being oh, um, about community, oh, just okay. in general, um, and um, and it would uh, and uh, with a leaning towards immigration, immigration issues, and um, and I, I think I've and it would be San Francisco based, mm-hmm. and again I'm a South Bay resident mm-hmm. writing about San Francisco, so there was a learning curve there too. Um, so <laughs> thank you, Internet. <laughs> That is so interesting. And what's the reception been? So I think uh, the first two years, um, I didn't. Um, I, I'd get some polite emails um, and uh, a few people who would write um, comments. But these days, I'm getting a lot of like people who react. Yes, Not very pleasantly. Uh, and I would. You, that doesn't surprise me. As a former examiner employee myself, <laughs> I know who reads the examiner. Right, but. But is the thread of 
belonging still working its way through mm. your columns? Mm. I think so. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And displacement. Right? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Maybe displacement more. Yeah. I read your I read your October eighteenth. I enjoyed it. And it yeah. is really interesting how San Francisco is a tale of two cities. Mm. And how do you like having, as a writer, as far as your writing chops go, how do you like having a regular gig like that? I think it kind of grounds me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes me think of issues um, deeply, um, even if it's like, you know, once every two weeks or so. But I, I do do a lot of groundwork um, for my columns. I, you know, so... Um, so, I, I, you know, short answer, it does ground me. I, mm-hmm. It gives me the ability to um, research, to figure out what, you know, how to frame a particular problem. Lori's about to sneeze. I That's know. what all that no, was No, now it went away. Okay, good. Because, <laughs> like, everyone was looking at me like I was crazy. <laughs> that was great. Your last answer was the eyes darting. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? <laughs> I know. Um, well, the good news, Lori, is we are out of time. So you'll be able sneeze to sneeze with abandon. And soon as Jaya gives us... Name of her website, Twitter, all that stuff, so people can find you. Well, it's my first name, last name, combination. So jayapadmanabhan.com is my website. And um, the I have a Twitter handle. It's jayapadmanabhan, hmm. um, at jayapadmanabhan. <laughs> Surprising. <laughs> and, and, and how often does your column come out? Every other week. Uh, so every Thursday, every other Thursday, every, every other Thursday, every okay. other Thursday in the exam. Check it out, everybody. You will find her, Lori. What about you? What if people wanted to find out what's up with you? What's up with me, LoriAnnDoyle dot com. Oh, that's good. You got that. And also Twitter handle, surprisingly, Lori at LoriAnnDoyle uh, at LoriAnnDoyle, and then you know Facebook and all that. And uh, interestingly, I'm also working on a historical. A work of historical fiction, novel. Um, How's that coming? You know. You know, yeah. It's a multi-year project. And where Oof. is it? Well, it's based in San Francisco. And what part of history? The 1906 earthquake. Oh. Which is, I hate to tell you, sort of wonderful to write about and horrible. Lori is of this region. If you dig down in your yard, you'll find Lori. <laughs> my, yes, my uh, mother and grandmother lived in San Francisco mm. for a while. But... Uh, yeah, it's really been a pleasure to talk to you. Yep. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. And as for the uh, a little bit less rooted me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at that Larry Rosen. Uh, my website for that other podcast I do is isitgoodforthejews.com. I'm always going to give myself a plug there. As for Absolutely. us here at the old Grotto Pod, you can email us at grottopod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Grotto Pod. You can go to iTunes. You can download us. You can subscribe. You can tell all your friends. <laughs> and you can give us reviews. Good ones. Good uh, you ones know, only. This is, do you know what BQ's sign-off is? Because this is the part where she usually does her little sign-off. Oh, first she thanks you and Lee and Beth for being our producers. And Babylon Salon for being our partners. Which Thank I just you, did. Beth. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, Babylon Salon. Thank you, you, Babylon Salon, which I'm a part of. Do you know what to say now? Being, um, no. Okay, I'll say it. Here's how we go out every week. Read, write, and just keep working. <laughs> <laughs>